everybody to yet another episode of Work Stoppage. I'm John and I'm here with my co-host Lena. Hello. And uh, we're going to bring you some more hot labor-oriented news. But first, if you'd like to support us a little bit more, please head over to patreon.com slash workstoppage so you can receive twice as many episodes every month. And if you can't do that, just leave us a glowing five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find the show, as they say, in the podcasting biz. But without too much further ado, I think we have a couple of follow-ups for you, starting off with uh, some pretty bad news. We were covering Spy House yeah. Coffee and their unionization efforts in the Twin Cities, I think, uh, a few twice. episodes ago. Well, I think that I think it was like kind of in our in our early tens, actually. So if you've okay. been a longtime listener, you'll actually be more familiar with this story. So basically, uh, there was a bunch of issues with COVID and the and the company not supporting their workers and, and providing PPE and safe work conditions, mm-hmm. and they basically still haven't. But the, they did manage to get through to a union vote, a second vote, I should say. And I always want to clarify that whenever they say that there's an, a union vote, it is the second vote because the workers did vote one time already with the cards that they signed in order to get this you know government sanctioned vote right and which again we've said many times on the show that first vote should be all you need to get a union officially yeah. recognized but yeah absolutely and um so through through like learning a little bit about what was happening here basically there was um a manager who is pretty pro union who was helping organize and that person was fired um probably we might have even covered that um, when we first covered this, but um, through all of the time that it took, because actually, I think that just pointing out how many episodes are between, we should find out how many episodes are between this, or or even go back and check it out. But um, you'll notice how long it took for them to actually get this election. And if you've been in a, a precarious workplace, like a food worker, like like any sort of food business, you'll be pretty familiar with how fast things change up. And basically, they fired enough people and brought on enough new workers that were either friends of management or were too new to inoculate, and they lost. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's it is what is very common. And when uh, I mean, I've talked a little bit about the union that I was able to help form um, many many years ago, and we kind of saw the exact same thing. Just we we were able mm-hmm. to like stay inoculated during the election. We got the thing, but literally one year in, we we lost our union because of the amount of retaliation that was happening. So I'm not entirely surprised. Um, it's sad that they didn't um, even get through the first um, bit, but yeah, it really sucks. I mean, it's always sad to see this kind of thing happen. But uh, solidarity to the spy house workers and, you know, keep keep trying to organize your workplace. There are successes. There are even organizing successes that we will be talking about uh, later in this episode. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, solidarity to those workers. And uh, it really fucking sucks that in this particular battle, the company won. Um Speaking of battles, we want to follow up on the battle between COVID-19 and the New York City public school system, uh, in which the New York City public school system is roundly getting their asses kicked. Uh, you may recall from the crossover episode we did with Death Panel and a couple of other times we've talked about it that New York was so desperate to reopen their public schools that they were considering having some of them in public parks and doing all other they manner were of ins- giant tents. They were going to liter- yeah. they were going to literally do the big tent thing. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. But anyway, they reopened way prematurely because obviously, you know, they had to because the economy and how will people get to work? But there's been a huge spike in COVID cases since they did that, obviously. And it's prompting them to have to shut down again, obviously. But I mean, even the statistics now that are coming out that are prompting them to shut down, like COVID statistics trail actual COVID infections by like weeks at a time. So we're only mm-hmm. seeing the tip of the iceberg of the damage that this has already caused. Who knows what the fallout of this is going to look like two weeks down the road after the schools have been closed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we, we actually, this is, um this was recently announced. It was, this is the 18th of November. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, I think it was just announced earlier today. Yeah, just a few hours ago. Yeah. But in the article, it says that the spike wasn't caused 
by the school's opening because of the way that <laughs> the um, the spike actually happened later and the way that, you know, cases do trail. But um, right. I, obviously, like, that is kind of a, a, a misleading uh, phrase to say that, like, oh, just having all of these people together didn't directly cause the spike. But as soon as the spike was happening like basically from restaurants and bars and stuff like that, this giant group of people who were getting together every single day became a risk. And we were talking about this before that literally what you're doing is even if the, even if the cases don't start in the schools, they will reach the schools. Like that is just how it works. Like the people who go to bars have children. (laughs) Most of them. Yeah. Those children go to school it also said this article said that it's going to disrupt the education of nearly 300,000 students. Now, I notice uh, when people say disrupt the education of they're really trying to push to keep schools in person. But what I want to point out is that we said that these students should have been getting uh, remote learning in the first place. These yes. 300,000 students would not have been interrupted had they been at home in the first place. Well, it's the whole deal. Like every time one of these states is like, oh, we're having a surge in coronavirus cases. We need to go back to, you know, X color lockdown, yellow mode or like, you know, lockdown stage two or whatever. It's like, why didn't you just fucking do that when the virus hadn't killed hundreds of thousands of people already? You know, why Why is it so hard to, to get it through your head that like any inaction in the early stages is going to lead to like way more problems down the line? But it's too late to even have that conversation because we're we're down the line now. And the best that they can do is like shut down one major city's public schools in response to like an uptick of cases. That's fucking pathetic. Like, why haven't we been spending all of this time and energy that we use to hem and haw over how we're going to keep the schools open to figure out what we're going to do with the schools closed? You know, it's like it's such a gross misallocation of resources, energy, time, discussion, public attention, you name it. Like it just is a huge waste of everything. Yeah. And it's it's just crazy to me. And it's like you're going to make these kids now go back home and on a day's pivot. Yeah. And then how many months later are they going to try and reopen the schools like in the middle of January or something? They're going to be like, OK, now they can come back. And then mark my fucking words, there's going to be another spike because it's it's ludicrous to me that they're trying to say that the reopening the schools had nothing to do with the spike. You simply can't assert that. It's yeah. it, it's such a it's such a variable factor, and it's so such an obviously like it's such a thing that could obviously have contributed to it that anybody who's saying that it had no part in it is is politically motivated into lying to you. Yeah, and. Uh, we also covered Chicago schools and how they have yet to go to do in-person uh, classes mm-hmm. because of how strong the union is there in Chicago. But right. even Chicago is looking at possibly going back to in-person classes in in January. So if anyone thinks that John's assertion that they're going to try to go back in January is false, I mean, they're going to just use Chicago as an excuse or yep. some other bullshit. Like, they're going to try it. And then, there, you know, two weeks later or whatever, there will be a huge surge in cases in all i mean every time there's like a major event whether it's like a fucking trump rally or the schools reopen or the bars ease up their restrictions or whatever you can it's like clockwork like 10 to 14 days later there will be a massive surge in coronavirus cases in that area and i mean it it it's it sucks to podcast about really because it's like i feel like i'm just saying the most obvious things over and over and over again and i'm like maybe if i say it this way it will finally impact or it will give people the ammunition that they need to convince other people in their lives or whatever but it's just like when when the most obvious good sense that you could have like the most basic level of care to keep people safe is not being being taken in our society like writ large it's just so fucking frustrating like there shouldn't be a school open in the entire country you shouldn't be able to go get a beer i don't care what you have to do to keep the bars from closing to keep the schools from going under to keep the teachers you know paid so they can feed their families and come back and teach when it is finally safe whatever it is just fucking do it already because for the love of god how much money have you spent trying to get everything open again that you could have just spent keeping people safe and we could have had our economy back by now yeah when did we say that one death was too many and then hold on let me look up uh covid deaths u.s 
Uh, right, we've got, um, as of today, 248,000 deaths. We are just, we are 2,000 short of, well, I mean, I guess a day or two short of a quarter million deaths. That's outrageous. That's fucking unbelievable to me. That's like, what, a tenth of a percent of the population of the United States, like just one out of every 1,000 people in the U.S. died from COVID? That's yeah. ridiculous. Are you fucking joking me? I unfortunately am not. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, you should get mad too. Honestly, yeah. I don't like this. Is I? We're gonna have a a story to to cool you down in just a minute, but we're gonna we're gonna shift over to some international news. And yeah, like I don't know exactly. I mean, like let's hope that the the unions in New York are they do more work than than they have been doing. Um, but what we're gonna be shifting to is actually a a labor story that kind of dates back really far, but mm-hmm. is a new revelation. Um, and right. honestly, it, I I learned a bit from it as well. So there was this. Uh, organization called the Economic League that was started in 1919. And what they did was they were basically an instrument of capital to compile lists of workers who were, how do you, how do they say it? They, um, troublesome workers. Oh, it's just, uh, it's McCarthyism, but instead of for communists and anarchists, it's just for trade union organizers. And this organization doesn't specifically exist anymore, though they did mention that there was another <laughs> organization that basically took its place that was taken yeah. down in 2009. And so I'm guessing that the one where this blacklist of, of workers uh, got transferred to is just you know, not found yet. Yeah. The uh, economic league is now known as the (laughs) league of extraordinary gentlemen. And there's a couple of movies about them, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) What, what this story is actually about is specifically, um, a chief superintendent or police, uh, of the, of Scotland yard, basically a, um, a police officer. Uh, yeah. A British top cop, so to speak. Yeah. Was basically, um, proved to have been, um, infiltrating labor groups and finding out what people to add to this blacklist of workers and what this i mean like the fact that it is 2020 and we are figuring out that a cop was adding people's name to a blacklist in an organization that ended in the 1990s is kind of upsetting i mean i guess this is like a classic like COINTELPRO pro kind of thing i mean we've actually been covering stories right. like this consistently over the the past couple episodes with all of the different organizations that are designed to infiltrate because uh, i think it, it's very timely when we see like the joe biden presidency about to happen uh with infiltrators in the union movement um Basically, we're we're almost going to be covering them uh, later in the episode because I can assume that a lot of these people are not actually on the side of labor and are more, um, what do you call it, like superficially part of labor in order yeah. to, you know, get like some sort of um, benefit for themselves. And- well, and there's like, uh, there's a lot of grifters out there and there's there's a lot of fucking undercover cops out there or like former cops. That's the crazy thing to me is like this whole economic league, uh, consulting association kind of, uh, uh, private entity is that it's not a state entity, right? Like the British, uh, one of the official watchdogs from the British government, uh, shut it down in 2009 after ruling that it was unlawful. So this is not a state organization. This is literally just a private firm that's set up by people who have an interest in capital. That's like, we're going to run around and make sure that people who are a threat to capital on the shop floor can no longer get a job in their main trade and force them to work a bunch of like unrelated part-time jobs to get by, which Mm -hmm. is like the most inhumane, like it like really brings the evil of like capitalist, but, and also just like neoliberal politics right down to the personal level. Right. It's like, oh, you have uh-huh. the audacity to try and work in organizations that will help other people feed their families better. And so in retaliation for that, we're going to make sure that you can't feed yours. 
Yeah. And um, I think one of the examples is like construction workers. So imagine like you were a construction worker. It's what you were trained in. You actually maybe even got trained by the union. Um, so you've done the thing that they tell you to do. You uh-huh. got an apprenticeship and you got became a good worker. And then you started sticking up for your rights and you realized that things were really fucked up and you became a little militant. Well, then suddenly you're on a blacklist and you're never able to get a job in your field again because all of these uh, corporations and capital um, holding people have found your name on a list and say and said we will never ever hire you again right because you are you care too much about yourself and, uh, and your fellow workers you you really should just give in to capital um otherwise you are this is they, they make these people an example um right. they are they're what i guess I, I don't know if i'm using the correct term but they're basically burned effigies yeah i mean the thing is is it's like it's it's scary to think that this might be much more widespread than like it seems, you know. And I know that this like takes place in like some of the bigger industries in the UK, uh, and this isn't necessarily like you know your small unions or whatever getting spied on. But it's like it makes you wonder. There's so many retired police officers. There's so many you know police officers who are like, oh yeah, I wanted to go down to part-time or whatever, and now they need something to fill their time. They end up working for consulting firms who are like, go take notes at a union meeting, go take notes at a fucking DSA meeting and fucking bring it back to us. So yeah. I'm not saying like run or like be suspicious of everyone and run around and like, uh, you know, snitch no, but be jacket suspicious of every cop, cop jacket people. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, definitely like have a radar for this kind of thing. And like, I don't know. This is just so disheartening to me that like somebody would would be like, you know, it's a savvy career choice. I'll go from working for Scotland Yard to working for just like a vague capital investment group and help them like safeguard their their assets against the greedy unions. Like what a ridiculous fucking like that's a manufactured industry that shouldn't fucking exist. Honestly, you know, if I had my druthers, so to speak, uh, the the union would be in charge of hiring and firing anyway. You wouldn't get to blacklist people. The union would be like, no, you, you're hiring this guy. That's You want the job done. That's how it works. Exactly. I mean, the workers know better than uh, than the management whether or not someone's going to be a fit for the job. And I'd say that they sh- – you're right. They should have the entire say over who is and is not hired in these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because they're going to be acting in the interest of labor, which is going to be the interest of the mo- of the most people, right. but also specifically because they are going to be the best workers. Yeah, definitely. I mean that's the other thing is it's like I don't really care what your job is. If you and all of the people that you worked with had a hand in the hiring process, even if it was in an indirect but still democratic kind of way, you would be much happier with your coworkers. You would work with better people. You'd have a better work environment. And you'd feel happier to work with these people because part of the connection of bringing them on was that they made an impression on the team and not just on your slimy-ass manager who you fucking hate and whose name you curse under your breath every time you walk into the storage room or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, be very aware. Like, don't get paranoid of, the, of your fellow worker necessarily because, like— there is some anti-solidarity stuff that uh, a lot of these infiltrator groups try to make you like, you know, turn on your fellow worker, but like, like pay attention to the cops. Like the, yeah. like I think that the, the old phrase is when someone tells you who they are, believe them. <laughs> uh, and so you can generally suss out who, who is not really part of the movement. Um, yeah, just use all those hot skills you learned playing Among Us for the last few months. Yeah. And uh, re- remember that that chat window is there for a reason. It's communication with your fellow workers that allows organizing to be effective and lets you see through other people's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess if we could even do a a, a comparison to Among Us, like imagine like everything was was see- like the the hardest thing for the workers like the the hardest settings so like vote times are are short and all that yep. like that's what that is what we're facing like yep. uh, no kill confirms there's there's three imposters on a on a ship of 10 uh I, no vi- visual tasks are off like the workers are really going to have to work hard to 
because the you know capital is in control of the game settings they own the lobby and what we have to do is we have to beat them so many times that they rage quit and the lobby becomes ours wait are you talking about our next article I just might be. Um, We have some incredibly hot energy, some incredibly unbelievable worker energy coming out of South Korea right now. Yeah. Uh, And we've covered South Korea before because we've talked about that video clip of, uh, I think it was GM workers just trashing the shit out of a plant when they were unhappy with a management decision. Yeah. And and what we're seeing is kind of a, um, a continuation of that. Like if you wanted to get control, so these workers are doing something pretty simple. They're doing two four-hour strikes a day. They've been doing it since (laughs) October 30th. I mean, this is a 24-hour plant, I'm guessing. Um, The four-hour strikes, I I also kind of speculate, are because it allows to spread out the burden of of lowered um, hours of the workers. So in order to make sure that the most workers are able to participate in this, so it's very strategic, but uh, the... What was it? The person who's basically the main interviewee of this Reuters article, uh, Stephen Kiefer, <laughs> uh, president of GM's International Operations, absolute ghoul, um, is talking about how they're going to have to leave South Korea because what um, the strikes and other industrial actions have cost the company 17,000 vehicles in loss of production, and that number will be 20,000 by the end of the week. Fuck yeah. That rips. <laughs> I mean, two, two four-hour strikes a day, assuming that the plant runs 24 hours nonstop continuously all day, is a third of their productivity just like washed down the drain. And like that is amazing. That's a huge chunk to be taking out of your boss's pocket. I mean, a lot, I don't know what auto manufacturing's margins are, but like a lot of retail, they operate on a 30% margin. Like if you knock out 30% of their profit, they're not making money anymore. Uh, And it it seems like that's what's happening here in South Korea. Yeah. And this guy, this is in retaliation to a wage freeze that was happened happened in 2018. Yeah. Because there was a deal uh, that was cut to like subsidize auto production in uh, Korea, basically, and save their auto producers from bankruptcy. But part of the stipulation want, in that was specifically South Korea, because I mean, yeah. we know that a that a preferred Korea is a unified North Korea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, until we get unified Korea, yeah. Um, but these, it seems like uh, it seems like they really did strike a heavy enough blow that this guy Steve Kiefer that they're interviewing is just like crying and shitting himself all over the place. Uh, he seems really, really <laughs> upset saying things like that's having a very significant short-term financial impact and like very significant in business speak is like code for like, I am screaming and running around in circles and tearing my hair out. It's so, going to have long-term effects. If we cannot get this resolved in the coming weeks, uh, Mr. Kiefer says, and, <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, well, so you're going to, give in to the workers' demands, but there was actually no indication that that was their plan. Uh, They actually are threatening to leave, which, I mean, honestly, if they can't like meet these workers' needs whose wages have been frozen for two years, well, at least one year so far, depending on when this particular deal was struck, because it just says 2018 in my notes. But right. um, there's they're either going to give in to these workers' demands or the whole c- company is going to fold. And honestly, fuck them. Like, yeah, I mean, if you can't afford, if you really like can't afford or even just can't bring yourself to pay these South Korean workers what they're asking for, you don't get to do business in their country. I'm sorry. And if that hurts your bottom line, I'm sorry. And when I say I'm sorry, what I really mean is go fuck yourself and die. (laughs) Um, You know, that's just the way it is. And I got to say, like, everything that I've seen about auto workers in South Korea has been so badass. The energy levels have been so high. They're not afraid to resort to shutting the, you know, shutting the shop down for a third of its operating time. They're not afraid to resort to just, like, trashing a fucking manager's office. Like, it's... It's the kind of shit that we should be doing here in the United States because mm-hmm. if we did it everywhere or at least in all the major production centers or whatever, they would have nowhere left to go. 
go and they would have to accept our demands. The thing so, that this reminds me of, and, and you mentioned that like the, the margins are, if they're cutting into a third of the production and these margins are, are around that tight, uh, it reminds me of the Jimmy Dodgers strike and how uh-huh. they were, they were like on strike for part of the um, time and they were like, oh, we're never going to have biscuits again. It's never going to, we're, we're going to run out of, of cookies for everyone. And, and it, <laughs> this this particular story actually um, made it kind of clarified how powerful literally a drop in a third of production can be against these, com- these companies. Um, and I mean, spreading out your strike, like, it, sure, it's really great if you can go on a solid strike, um, but if you want to prevent them from bringing in scabs, you want to seriously cripple their ability to make money on, like, over your body right. uh, in order to get you the things that you need in order to survive, to get the wage increases or better working conditions, like, some of these strategic strikes that happen to be, like, whether they like eight hours of a 24 hour day. I mean, if that works, then, then that's really great. Um, yeah. I mean, plus what it also does is it's like, assuming you're not getting paid for those four hours, you're still making part of your money. So it's less stressful on the funds of the union while still having like a very noticeable like an impact severe enough that these automakers are considering pulling out of South Korea entirely. I would say that's uh, a very impactful strike. And then at the same time, without putting yourself in a position where you have to rely on, you know, the strike fund or whatever, which, you know, could be as little as like 10% of what you were making at your day-to-day job yeah i I think that what this makes me think i was like if you were in like a food industry if you did a strike from 11 a.m to 1 p.m every single day like literally right over the lunch rush and you would Mm -hmm. probably cripple them pretty pretty heavily if if the hours in which they make most of their money they're no longer in production you might see uh, a bit of movement and plus you will not have been away from your job enough to like lose so many wages but you will definitely cut directly into the profits of the bosses yeah i mean that's an interesting thought i hadn't really thought about that before but like if you work at a coffee shop that opens at five in the morning or whatever uh you know and you and all the other employees vow that you're not going to open the store until 8 a.m and they'll lose out on like you know 90 percent of their morning business I bet that would like do a lot to hurt them. And then you're cutting their peak income hours, but you are still showing up and clocking in for the majority of the hours in your shift. They're just the slow ones. I mean, it's really, it's really win-win and it's this, it's that same kind of like, you know, like trying to get the absolute greatest return on investment of like time and energy that they're that your employer is using to fuck you over all the time. So whatever the most mm-hmm. cold, calculated, heartless way that you can fuck them up and get your point across, that's what you should be doing because that's the attitude they have dealing with you. Right. Heartless towards them could be an incredibly like like solid with tons of solidarity towards your fellow workers cuz Exactly. This is about helping the most people. Like if you actually want to talk about like whether or not this is good or bad, I mean, if you we balance over how many people are going to be helped, then you're helping more people by going on strike during these opportune times. Yeah, I mean, it's always better for a hundred people to have one of something than it is for one person to have a hundred of something. I I yeah. almost don't even care what the thing is unless it's yeah. like I don't know a deadly disease. Then give them all to one guy and save as many lives as you can. Right. Uh, <laughs> give, give them all to to Jeff Bezos. Yeah, the richest person in the room has to deal with that shit. Uh, <laughs> so and and I actually specifically brought him up because he's going to be part of our. We're going to be talking about sh- the like, bald tactical boy, the old bookseller turned uh, war criminal. <laughs> yeah, let's let's we can. Like, so let's say, I mean, solidarity with GM workers in South Korea, there's tons of other industries that I'm sure are are facing this sort of militancy in that area, mm-hmm. um, probably because of really horrible work conditions. Um, but we're going to move back to the United States and we're going to be talking a little bit about who's going to be leading the way in the Biden administration uh, in the shift towards 
what fixing the worker rights that Trump gutted or some bullshit like that. Like we're going to actually kind of try to dispel a little bit of this. Um, I don't want to like go way too um, deep and like have the next, you know, months worth of episodes be about this we'll probably uh after this uh wait until some actual decisions come down we'll stick to to right like actual worker news but uh we are gonna be hitting the election one more time uh talking about the promises of the biden administration <laughs> i mean i've been seeing so much buzz about this i can't even like look up any kind of news, much less labor-related news, without it all, like, being about the fucking election. Like, who's Biden's secretary of labor going to be? Is he going to pick one of the Obama-era deputy secretaries of labor? You know, who's on his transition team now? And it's, like, it's hard for me to even keep track of, like, what the transition team is versus what the cabinet's going to be versus who his special advisors are, all that kind of bullshit. But we'll start with a little good news, I guess. It looks like Biden has picked two fairly not totally reprehensible people to be on his transition team. Yeah. Uh, Well, the article specifically says there's 27 union leaders. And I want to include this article in our notes because if you know any of these people, are there parts of your unions or anything like that? Like these are the kind of these are the people that you need to be talking to right now and make sure that they're actually doing good shit for the workers. Right. Um, but the two people that John is referring to is is the two different um, presidents, uh, one of the United Farm Workers and the other of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW. I took a little bit of time to figure out. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being a little unfair by trying to specifically figure out why they wouldn't be great. <laughs> but uh but th- let's we can I guess there's some good things at least about the first person um Teresa Romero who is um of the um United Farm Workers. Uh she was a Mexican immigrant. She actually became the president of um UFW back in 2018, which I found because when Googling her name, uh, it is one of the only things that pops up. And she, I I did want to, like, I was thinking a bit about why does this person, like, work for, like, why is this person the president of a a union? I looked into a little bit and she had been the owner of a construction management consultation business, uh, which I mean, I guess gives her like, I don't know, experience in labor relations. Um, Yeah, but not from the side that like she didn't come up as a worker. She came up as a as a business owner and as a consultant. Right. uh, But she did manage a law firm that uh, was supposed to help uh, immigrant workers uh, with with like worker compensation claims. So, okay. That seems good. Yeah. I mean, a little, I maybe like a redemption arc or something like that, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't usually trust people. People like this who seem like a mixed bag kind of, and then they get like picked by the Biden administration to be involved in something that to me is like just a red flag in itself that like whatever positive things there are about this lady are going to be outweighed by her contributions to the oppression of capital over the, the very farm workers that she claims to represent. Right. I mean, I actually put in the notes here. This like, this is the least damning pick that I've seen. Yeah. She really seems like someone who is presumably on the side of workers. She generally quotes uh, Cesar Chavez, who is the basically the founder of the UFW, right. um, who who was a, a, a good labor leader. But the next person is from the uh, IBW. It was um, Lonnie Stevenson. Love me a Lonnie. What a wonderful name. Shouts out to Street Fight Radio. And their constant description of of Lonnie's around the country always brings a smile to my face. <laughs> I thought that the way that they became president, or uh, the way that, that he became president was a little interesting because he was appointed international president oh. and then was elected by delegates. Um, so basically, there was probably an opening and then they had to put someone in there and he became the incumbent 
Right. And then was made the the international president. Um, but I did put in here a quote. So kind of in the, what do you call it? In the spirit of, of our, of our Patreon episode from last week, uh, I've, I've included a quote on what he thinks about Joe Biden. Let's see here. Let me read that real quick. Vice President Biden is the right leader for our country in this moment. Biden has the experience and skills to bring our country out of this pandemic and meet the challenge of climate change. Oh, okay. Really? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that would be amazing to me if that were true. The IBEW has been working with Vice President Biden since he first ran for Senate. And I put in here the note of when that was, was 1972. Yeah, it was a... And uh, we have continued to have a strong relationship with the vice president. His Build Back Better platform is what we need at this moment to modernize our nation's infrastructure, create millions of middle class jobs and reduce emissions all across the economy. I think this is super wishful thinking. Well, it's just lie after lie. Like, this is clearly a guy who's been in contact with Joe Biden for a long time or wants to flex like he has has some kind of relationship to him in an official capacity and is using his moment in the the spotlight of the press to be like, Hey Joe, just so you know, I'm here to Brown nose you as hard as I fucking can. And I would please for the love of God, appreciate some kickbacks. And you know, like, I guess, you know, he's gotten it now. He's been appointed to the, to the transition team or whatever. And now he's angling for a cabinet position. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I just like, don't trust this person. I don't trust anybody who's getting a career track in a in a Biden administration's anything, transition team, cabinet, anything. Yeah, I watched I don't think it was uh Lonnie, but there was the um well maybe, maybe it was cuz I was watching this uh piece from an IBW leader about uh-huh. like the coronavirus and they were really really shilling for like like military industrial stuff. Like they were talking about all of the infrastructures that the IBEW does, whether it be, you know, uh, the electrical poles or the um, actual like internet infrastructure and all of the different, like anything that has to do with wiring or, um, or like infrastructure um, communications or electricity. Uh, the IBEW has a little bit of a sway in that. And okay. the, and the the thing that I found really interesting about that is that it wasn't necessarily a call to arms that like we have this important part of the industry and we have the power to like work in solidarity with each other to like benefit each other and to like actually protect ourselves during this pandemic. It was more like follow the rules and keep like doing stuff like be be strong independent people not like we're not, i don't know it just really didn't seem like he was doing a rallying call to to it, it was more of a i don't know just well, a I really mean, weak statement they didn't choose these people because they are the most militant labor leaders in the country quite the opposite they chose them to gel with the team of corporate shills that joe biden is assembling to bring into his uh presidency that should be coming up here in a moment yeah that's and right it uh it seems like he basically has just chosen to pick people who have worked in the biggest most corporate business interests silicon valley all that kind of shit to to serve in all capacities in the government right. coming in so if you were horrified 4 years ago that trump was just putting his buddies his his corporate friends and his his weird libertarian and tea party uh, buddies up in major positions of power get ready to be horrified all over again because we yeah. have people from Amazon, LinkedIn, Airbnb, and many more, even slimier corporations, uh, being put in positions of power unilaterally. I might add by this guy Joe Biden, who wasn't even really elected on the merit of votes for him, just on the merit of votes against his opponent. Yeah, I I think that. Um when looking at who these people are, we can kind of trust um, uh, an old friend, someone that we know and trust, Jeff friend Bezos. Friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wrote on Instagram, um, unity, empathy, and decency are not characteristics of a bygone era. 
Bezos wrote on Instagram congratulating Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. By voting in record numbers, the American people have proved again that our democracy is strong. Oh, my God. I mean, think about how excited Jeff Bezos is to get a a quote unquote like stable national leader back in the seat. Right. Because like Trump is good for rich people, but he's not good for like rich people who are so rich that they might actually like threaten his ability to make decisions. But your neoliberals, you're you're like Bidens and Obamas. They fucking love Jeff Bezos. He's their guy. He keeps the he keeps the tech sector alive. Keeps the Saudi oil money flowing in. Yeah, and uh, the people who are actually on this transition team from Amazon are people like Tom Sullivan, uh, Amazon's director of international tax planning. Oh, of course, yeah, for Biden's Department of State team. Also, uh, Mark Schwartz, uh, who was an enterprise strategist from Amazon Web Team. Made up. Now, we, didn't we cover Amazon Web Team like semi recently uh, with I a mean, with a job posting about union busting? Yeah, I mean, I'm always talking about Amazon Web Services because they're the backbone of like 80 percent of the internet at this point. But yeah, we were talking about them. Uh, having a position up that was basically like, hey, come in, be our in-house union buster. And that's who's going to be working for the, as the article says, the extremely powerful Office of Management and Budget. Love it when my people who hate unions have control over who gets paid how much money. Yeah, that particular organization is a $5 trillion like branch of the government. They control $5 trillion of the federal budget. God damn, that is so yeah. much fucking money. This, the list is actually huge. I think that I was um, I was going to include both this one and the um, the previous one in the notes just because of like it's way too much to go all the way into. Um, yeah. But we've got Nicole Isaac, who is a senior director of North American policy at LinkedIn. Uh, we'll sit on the Department of Treasury. Uh, Great. Brandon Belford from Lyft uh, to serve as the <sighs> Office of Management and Budget. Um, Again, another yeah. OMB. Oh yeah, and uh, th- that guy will be on the uh, the OMB team alongside Divya Kumaraya from Airbnb. So you have mm-hmm. the people who have uh, who have made it so that you have to rent out your car as a means of survival, and the guys who have made it that you have to rent out your house as a means of survival are going to get together and be in charge of five trillion dollars of the United States money. Lovely. What could go wrong? <laughs> it's like it's like a '90s buddy cop movie. You know, hijinks will ensue. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, like, yeah, I'm gonna include this article. Just both both of these. I think that they're actually both from pretty decent sources too. I mean, yeah. uh, what we have the World Socialist website, uh, which I don't know. Their 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 headlines are um, capitalism and inequality, anti imperialism. Marxist yeah. library is pretty they're good stuff. just just uh judging from their website layout I'm gonna go ahead and guess that they're a, a Trotskyist organization yeah Trotskyists are usually good about doing really good journalism typically so yeah I mean we need to be very wary of all of these ghouls and and also like who even of that represents labor is going to be necessarily like from like labor unions is going to be part of this uh, transition team and and part right. of the Joe Biden administration. Yeah, and don't don't be fooled. There there aren't going to be any people who like came up in the union from being a carpenter or being a uh, you know a boilermaker or being an apprentice electrician or well, whatever. Those aren't I mean, the people. Techni- technically, Lonnie is he did he did um you know do an apprenticeship and it, and did kind of do that. But th- I I wouldn't say that he became anything but like a neoliberal shill of, of unions. Right. Yeah. Molded into a neoliberal shill kind of corrupt major yeah. union um, official. And speaking of, we also have a couple words from our great leader, Richard Trumpka. <laughs> you know, I carry around Trumpka's little red book in my pocket. And sometimes I just read quotes from it to myself to calm me down. <laughs> what is the quote from this week? <laughs> uh, you can't. So it's actually a quote that uh, got dredged back up because I was kind of looking around, and this this labor rights dot blog 
had an article called Democrats Better Fucking Deliver. And it was this kind of like <laughs> righteous vitriol that was like, you remember when AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka warned Democrats that you can't offer campaign rhetoric or count on workers' votes simply because you have a D next to your name. He told candidates behind closed doors for the July presidential primary debates. And it's like... It's all this like fiery rhetoric about how like, oh, the, the Democrats better have learned their lesson this time. And now that they finally got the power, they better fucking follow through and help us out. And it's like, what makes you think they're going to learn their lesson? They won. They won the election. They didn't win the way they wanted to, but that almost never happens. So yeah. now you think that like now that they've, they've resumed power, they actually beat Trump in an election. Now you think that your like righteous indignation is going to get through to them at all? I, I can't I can't conceive of a world in which it would. You'd have to do so much more than type up some some sassy bullshit on your your blog online. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. Like whenever it comes to like these these union presidents, I I'm just like not convinced that these aren't people like part of the hegemonic powers that that keep workers down. Um I mean Trumpka certainly is. I know I don't know about all the major union leaders, but he specifically is a very corrupt person. I know that just from like reading up on him and, and seeing the kind of like neoliberal sheepdogging he's, he's always doing in labor articles. But he's got that tough guy exterior. He's got this kind of like tough guyness that makes him good, right? Yeah, I mean that's isn't that the funny <laughs> thing? Like people used to admire. Well, that was like the union thug, right? It was like the tough guy who was in the union and would like fuck you up if you fucked with the union, and like that was supposed to be scary. But then by the same token, that's also cool, right? Like everybody's like, yeah, that guy's tough. Yeah, I like that. I'm impressed by that guy. And now we have like this kabuki theater version of it, where it's like you go up on stage and you do the tough guy act, but Trumka would not throw a punch for a fellow worker. One, because he's not a worker. And two, because he doesn't have that kind of solidarity. You know, that's it's sad to say, but that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and and this, the thing is, is that we're also seeing that a lot of these people who are labor leaders are even struggling to suggest the same people. Like, it's not that they have such a huge pool. Right. It's that they can't decide which person is going to be like walking the line of, of corporatist and, and union um, supporter. And like, it doesn't make any sense that, that all of these unions, despite how powerful they are, can't come together and put, like really solid people forward that are going to specifically be pro worker and not pro industry or not. I mean, I shouldn't say pro industry, not pro capital. Um, because when, when looking at the, the different people that they were trying to put forward, it didn't seem like there was any really, I don't know, radical choices. They didn't put forward. I don't even know if we, do we have like super strong labor leaders that aren't just like small organizers in your local IWW chapter? Oh, I don't know. Like I, I'm struggling. I struggle to find like people that I really find to be really great labor leaders. And maybe, and I, I guess, what about the, the um, guy from um, the South Dakota guy who who try who did his best to get rid of fascism in the AFL CIO in South Dakota. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that'd be good. I mean, that's, they're they're never going to put the right guy for the job in the position, right? Like even the yeah. argument between the two factions of like big quote unquote like big labor, I guess you would call it. Here is like two people who, who like you said, are just different flavors of towing the kind of neoliberal line, and it's like. You know, fuck, everybody has been saying, like, all of the liberals who were trying to convince, like, Bernie Kratz that they should back Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or whoever else were saying, like, oh, do you really think Bernie should be the president or wouldn't yeah. he be better as the secretary of labor? And it's like yeah. none none of those people would ever appoint Bernie Sanders secretary of labor, you know, yeah. much less somebody from the unions who actually fucking like came up in that arena of politics and knows what they're doing. Right. It's always, always going to be somebody who will figure out how to make things smoother on their end and yeah. not on the workers end. 
and I guess you know I I, I have my own copy of the of the the Trumpka's little red book or whatever. <laughs> and uh, the the, ne- <laughs> the next one is is a specific quote about uh, this topic. He said, "Once the nomination is made, everyone will get on the same page oh because I have no doubt that the person Joe Biden will name will be an effective friend of workers and will do right by working people." <laughs> Someone with that level of confidence in Joe Biden, I don't trust. Yeah, no, you shouldn't trust anybody who has confidence in Joe Biden to finish a sentence, much less uh, be a competent administrator. And I also love the idea that he's like, yeah, we might be beefing about which neoliberal would toe the line best now, but once they get somebody in, we're all going to rally behind them. It's like, that's just democratic centralism for being a fucking neoliberal shill. Yeah. Like, that sucks. That's fucking terrible. Yeah. And then... I mean, like, how how much work do they even have to do to to? Actually, I guess what I should really say is the last thing I want to cover is the kind of approximation of how long it will take to undo what Trump did to labor. And they say right. it could take a couple months of literally dull it, like like putting out executive order after executive order. Them joking about how Joe Biden will have writers cramp with all of the things that they need to undo what Trump did now. This particular article, I was not as thrilled about just be, <laughs> just because it seriously seemed like they like the whole thing is just to undo what Trump did, not to actually help workers, not to like yeah. actually make the rules good for working people, but just to undo what Trump did. The whole thing it, it goes back to the the fact that this is not any sort of election that says anything other than uh, Trump bad. Yeah, what this really does, I think, is reinforce my commitment to the idea that if you really want to pursue gains for labor, you need a positive political program. You can't just be reacting to things that happen. It can't just be like negative, like, oh, that's bad. Oh, we're going to fight against this. Oh, we're going to fight against this. You need to come out and say, there are things that we want. You know, we have demands, so to speak. We have mm-hmm. like, we have a vision for the way labor should be organized yeah. in the United States. And we want to start moving towards that track. And then, you know, I don't think you should compromise, but if you're going to compromise, you compromise from there. You don't yeah. compromise from the point of well, being like, well, well, the best we can probably do is roll back what Trump did. And that'll be really hard. Yeah. And Joe will have to write a lot of executive orders. So let's not rush him. And it's like, you're, you're already losing so much ground. There's, there's no gaining rights. This is exactly what. I think highlights why this whole rest of this segment where we were talking about whether they be people from the union or these corporate shills, but like what exactly is their specific plan? Like where, like none of these articles talk about how these people from like union movements are going to be fighting for, um, like, I don't know, prevailing wage specifically or, or anything like that. Like super important thing. How are, how are we going to get rid of right to work laws? Even if, even if they, cause right. that's always what, like what standard union stuff they want to talk about, but they don't even bring up that stuff. They're not even interested in the, the meaningful material gains of the working class. They no. are just names on a piece of paper that might do. Okay. Who knows? Your fucking Joe Bidens are thrilled that Trump moved the Overton window or however you want to characterize the general like idea of what's acceptable politics so far to the right so or, or maybe not even in a left-right dichotomy, just like so far away from making concessions to the actual material needs of workers that he's not going to have to do anything. And he's fucking thrilled about that. He can do the bare minimum, roll back one or two of the less meaningful you know, things that Trump did to fuck over workers and then pretend like he's a hero. And the Democratic establishment will just get in line behind him uh, yeah. about that. So, Richard Trumpka says so. Yeah. I mean, it's what I've been saying since before Joe Biden won the election. Uh, if Joe Biden wins, and now that Joe Biden has won, what you need to be ready for is for people to act like a lot of these problems that they were willing to acknowledge under Trump suddenly don't exist anymore, or yeah. were taken care of, or were mediated or handled in some way. And it's just simply not fucking true. Yeah. And, uh, that's why we intend to be a podcast for the next four years to tell you yeah. all about it. Yeah. Um, I think that that leads us to really great into our first meme in the meme review. Ooh, I'm I ready think we for need, it. Yeah. We can step away from that. I'm get, almost get, at the bottom of the this c- Labatt. I'm ready for memes. <laughs> yeah. So this is the two wolves meme. Uh, Gotta love a two wolves meme. Just classic. Yeah. Uh, inside you, there are two wolves. One is laughing at MAGA Cope. <laughs> One is annoyed at liberal cringe. 
Of course. You are terminally online. God damn it. If this <laughs> meme, I would be it mad hurt. at this meme if it wasn't laser targeted directly at my forehead. Yeah, yeah. this is like the meme equivalent of having a, a laser scope pointed on you and your friend's like, why do you have that red dot on your head? And you're like, oh shit, again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love I love the two wolves meme. I think that it is often done pretty well. Also with the like uh was the the solidarity hand clasp is like the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, I also so, like the one the solidarity hand clasp version where there's like a bunch of different people and it's all it's like the fantasy photo and they're all laying their swords on the table and oh, it has yeah. like a list of all the different groups. I like that one too. Those are all like a tier maybe like low s tier meme formats right and then uh, there's the 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 unsung hero of the what is it the all the people um having their hand on something and but one person putting their hand out and not <laughs> actually touching that it one's or great yeah that one's great so, it's like uh it's like all the people putting their hand on like worker solidarity and it's like marxists anarchists like left comms like 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 weird uh trade unionists who don't have a particular political affiliation and then the guy not holding his hand quite on the thing it's like neoliberals uh, (laughs) or like the biden administration or whatever yeah that's yeah um so let's i i i like this meme a lot yeah Yeah. i'm just gonna give it one out of ten scabs one out of ten scabs i was gonna go for i was gonna go for zero scabs because honestly it's a great format and i think it's a really really good use of the format i'm gonna give it a perfect score just personally i i no, I'm gonna stick to one because I just I just think that there there has to be I, my standards are too high. Okay, okay, uh, that's totally fair. Uh, I, I'm excited next... for the for the for the the zero uh, zero scabs beam though. I know that that'll happen <laughs> at some point for me. Um, well, our our next one, uh, giving it a shot, shooting for that zero scabs, is the classic uh, meme where it's like not quite stick figures, but just like simple outlines of people. And it's the one guy stabbing another guy as he's chasing him. But then you see the, the guy the taking video of it. Yeah. The camera is zoomed in and the guy in the front who's running away, his foot looks like a knife stabbing the guy behind him. And the guy running away is called Antifa. The stabbing dude is labeled MAGA in this, uh, meme and then the guy distorting everything is uh andy no and andy is a fucking fascist piece of shit who goes out of his way to deliberately misrepresent things this it came up because he did it again recently yeah he's always doing it ever since that fucking milkshake bullshit where he pretended that antifa threw concrete milkshakes in his head (laughs) yeah uh andy no sucks um anything related to liberty hangover sucks um, Liberty hangover. Got him. Zing. Yeah. And um and like I, I like this because it, it kind of is evocative. It's got a, a very clear um message it's telling. Um I I don't necessarily uh, like covering this so much, but uh, there are a lot of people who fall for that bullshit. I mean I felt yeah. I, I looked at the, the Twitter thread and it was really it Andy actually curates the the comments on it so that it's only the people who agree with him that show up. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, it's important to bring it up. I I'm still I'm gonna go with three out of ten. Yeah, I'll go with probably three, maybe a three point five yeah. scabs out of ten. But yeah. moving on to something that I really like, but also really hate at the same time. <laughs> a meme that you brought into my life just today. I saw it for the first time. It's a lot of these it are actually the, from the Discord. I, I put out a little call. I was like, hey, if anybody has some good memes they want, you know, drop them in the Discord. Yeah. And this is a lot of these are from that. So Okay. Well, I want to explain this meme a little bit because at the top and bottom of the meme it says Bagelian dialects dialectics. It's and like we bagel? all know that's yeah, like bagel. But instead of bagel, you know, bagel instead of Hegel, so to speak. Yeah. And then it has a bagel. It says thesis. It has sugar and chocolate and it says antithesis. Uh, it actually says Aniti thesis. I think it's just a typo. <laughs> uh, and then at the end, it has a chocolate covered donut and it says synthesis. Now, I like this because it is a good example of the Fichtean uh, synthetic method, which is what this is describing, which most people get confused for Hegelian dialectics, they think, oh, dialectics, that's thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right? Wrong. That's Fichtean synthesis. What Hegelian dialectics actually is, is a different form of three-part movement where you have one, you have a thing 
that has its own attributes and then it creates a contradiction within itself. There's no externality. There's no antithesis. It's just a contradiction within the thing itself. And then that, that contradiction is the second part of the, the movement. And then through the friction of that contradiction, it sublates or sublimates into new and different contradictions. That's the three part movement of Hegelian dialectics. Um, I, uh, yeah. That thank thank you. I I honestly I struggle with this stuff. Um, and at the end of each of them, you get a donut. So you know, no worries. Yeah. They both lead to donut. Well, that was very <laughs> helpful. I'm still confused. Four out of ten scabs. Four out of ten scabs. I, I'll I'll go in with that on you. And then for something that's really easy to understand, we have our final meme. Uh, the classic guy hitting a bunch of crabs slash lobster looking things with a stick. Uh, and the way that I've normally seen it looks this like meme, a D and like a, like a photo out of a D and D book. Like this is yes. the, in the, the, this is the monster manual and it's just a human with a stick. Hitting yeah. these crabs. It's like D 20 modern or something. But, yeah. uh, yeah, what I've seen this meme before as is this image and it's like me at level one and it's like hitting crabs with a stick. And then it's like mm-hmm. me at level 100 and the crabs are a different color and you're hitting them with like a stick that has fire on the end of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> just reskinned enemies. Yeah. But, uh, this, what this one says is just me trying to stop evolution. Yeah. And, but uh, this is just the, everything evolves into crabs meme. Yeah. Which is uh, 100% true. It has nothing to do with the particular conditions that cause organisms to evolve into crabs. It's just the the telos at the end of history. We're all destined to become crabs of one kind or another. So very very interesting. I mean, I, I'm interested to 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 understand this one a little bit, little bit more at some point. I'll have to look. I'll have to do some soul searching on this one. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> well, let you. Tr- I'm gonna let you put the 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 rating forward on this one yeah crabs don't have class society so pretty damn good i would say one scab out of ten one yeah i'm 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 still confused so i'm gonna (laughs) go with three uh just because i'm i'm still not entirely uh understanding this meme hell yeah Uh, feel free to explain it to me in the discord because uh I, I want to see uh, more people coming in here. We've ha- been having some good discussions. We actually, one of our articles today, uh, the one about the South Korean workers, came from uh, someone in the Discord, which we are there very thankful for. Um, if you'd like to get uh, twice as many episodes, go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. There is a link for the Discord there. If you are also looking for uh, the Discord, you can go onto our Facebook page on the pinned thing. I put it in the comments and um give us a five-star review on apple podcasts follow john at facebook villain on twitter me at solidarity b check out beep beep lettuce uh and we will see you in the discord keep organizing out there have a good one (laughs) 